You're listening to Weather Hype. I am Castle. And I'm Am Min. We have a special episode today where we're going to be talking about the ongoing situation with Hurricane Harvey impacting southeastern Texas, especially the Houston metro area. Um, it's pretty it's pretty rough. There's really no way of talking about it in a nice way. It's a very, very dire situation. But um, we do have information right up front about how to help with those victims in Houston and across southeastern Texas and southern Louisiana, right? We do. Um, like Min said, this is life-threatening, like devastating flooding, and we just want to bring a conversation to you guys. Um, just kind of like a uncut thing where me and Min are mm-hmm. talking about what's going on in real time. Um, so like Min just said, we do have a place where you can go and donate. Uh, the Red Cross is doing excellent things with helping out with donations for Hurricane Harvey. So you can go to redcross.org backslash donate backslash hurricane harvey um you can also text the word harvey h-a-r-v-e-y to 90999 and that will automatically do a ten dollar donation so we hope that everyone helps out these um, individuals because they desperately need help exactly and you can also donate to the united way uh, if you text uw flood to 41444 that'll also help out um with giving money to united way or you can also donate via the salvation army by going to their website helpsalvationarmy.org um, there are a lot of local charities in houston that you can also look into as well and we'll have that information um, later on on our website we probably won't have that up for a little while things are going on in our lives where we aren't able to do that yet but we'll try to get information out to you as soon as we can um and so you know with so many inches of rain i think i saw on uh, social media today it broke the all-time record for yes. rainfall in the contiguous united states right yes it was it was just under 50 inches right it was like yeah 49 i think it's like 49 point exactly yeah. um and so that's insane um there are so many statistics coming from the storm but uh we'll jump into that a little bit later but i had a a, a thought about you know was this storm really well forecast and I believe as soon as Thursday yesterday, I had really heard about it on the radio, on NPR, on um, some of the bigger news uh, organizations in the country. And I know on Wednesday, we were definitely talking about it and about the potential rainfall that I believe they were calling for at least 15 to 20 inches last Wednesday. And as the storm began to strengthen and models were showing it meandering and kind of lingering over Southeast Texas, that was when we had started seeing numbers of 50 inches or more from some of the uh the rain uh the uh, forecast models i think gfs is one of those the american model was showing 50 inches and i think the european model is also showing upwards of that amount as well so it's really interesting to to see that and you know i remember this might be one of the the uh, storms i remember from my childhood in 2001 tropical storm allison kind of circled around Houston after it hit and kind of lingered there for a while as well. Um, dropped 40 inches of rain in parts of Texas. Wow. And it was the worst flooding event that Houston had ever seen. Um, I think it says 70,000 homes were destroyed um, and they were flooded as well. And uh, 23 people passed away in Texas. But um, that was, I just remember seeing the pictures and I was like, holy moly. And I have a lot of friends and family in Houston at that time and currently now too so it's interesting to see that you know people like to compare we've talked about this before right castle where right. people like to prepare or uh, compare storms from the past to 
what is threatening. So folks were comparing before Harvey was hitting to a potential tropical storm Allison and the flooding. Houston's seen some pretty big flooding events happening in the past two years, 2015 and 2016. I think in 2016, it was called the um, tax day storm because it happened around, I guess, tax day. And so, you know, it's interesting how they're comparing it. But um, yeah, it's it's very, very uh, a, a bad time over there in Houston right now. Uh, talking with some of my friends and my family, um, they're all doing okay, the ones I've reached out to, but they know a lot of people in the Houston area, their own friends and family who had to be rescued, had to be um, retrieved from their homes by, uh, you know, safety crews and, and rescuers. So um, it's... It's pretty interesting um, to see it all unfold from afar, but definitely I feel for the victims. I know you do too, and the mm-hmm. rest of the country is going to try to help. Um, so can you I know, again, quickly? This, say yeah, something? go for it. Um, yeah. Can we think about this from another perspective? And I kind of want to throw this at you, since you do have people that you've talked with and spoken with, and family members. Did sure. they think it was well forecast? Because I feel like for probably myself and you as well, we're kind of biased in the sense that we are privy to this kind of high quality forecast information that's it's just kind of within our news feeds and it's just within our knowledge to kind of seek out that information and so i'm wondering if they what their perspective may have been because um it's it would be completely different from ours sure um and so that's a great point always really good to understand from an outsider's standpoint whether or not they feel like the forecast was um accurate or or pretty uh straightforward in line with what is happening now i i texted people that i knew starting i think early friday morning and i said hey this is going to be a really really bad situation um and so i think they had already heard about it and heard that it was coming the storm was coming that way uh, I don't think anybody truly visualized it being this bad. Even though I, I literally said, and I texted them, I said, okay, you're you know, 20 to 35 inches of rain. It's going to be really flooding, a lot of flooding. And I was saying, like, you know, this could be worse than Katrina. Um, and I said, well, thanks for the information. Like, we'll, we'll think about it, but we're just going to get supplies and stay in our, ho- our houses, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how they felt about the forecast itself, but I know that I was saying it already and they had already reaffirmed that they'd heard about it um, prior to me mentioning it. So me telling them over text was not the first time they had heard about the storm. Um, and I believe they all watched the local news from what they were telling me too. So it might be a question, a follow-up question later on, but I'm yeah. not really sure um, right now how they feel about the forecast overall. Okay, because I mean, it's completely different from hearing the forecast and acknowledging it versus determining oh, sure. its accuracy and how well yeah. they believe everything I don't was think, told to um, them. So. I think, you know, I get, that's a great point again that you you bring up. And, um, you know, I don't, I think the severity of the impacts was communicated, but mm-hmm. there, again, it's a big difference between, oh, we communicated it very well and people actually listening to it and Correct. being like, oh yeah, like I, that was great. I, I think I'm going to evacuate now. Which I think segues us into a pretty um, interesting thought. I feel like a lot of people have been talking about over social media um, is why people didn't evacuate or why there wasn't a call for evacuation. Um, and it goes into a little bit of the news headlines that were used as well. I think that were um, that people were kind of talking about. So actually, let's back up a little bit and talk <laughs> about the news coverage and the headlines. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, the news coverage and headlines surrounding Harvey. There was a lot of frustration with the media reports showing that 
you know, Hurricane Harvey is a Category 4. Um, it's going to be really damaging winds. And it seemed like the, a lot of headlines that I pulled up were all about the wind and about, like, trees being knocked down mm-hmm. and about where the storm made landfall after it had made landfall. Um, but it n- many of the reports and the stories didn't really lead with the idea that it was going to be raining for such a long period of time and how much rain was going to fall. It might have been, like, a, a mentioned like you know line or two in the article but most of it would focus on like the destruction that it left when it you know hit that texas city and you know where it's going to be downgraded so i was wondering if you had some thoughts about that because i think the use of the word downgrade really irked a lot of people in the weather community right Um, and so i'm curious to see if you agree or disagree or if you have thoughts about the use of the term downgrade and maybe the emphasis of the media on the wind and not necessarily the rainfall Sure. Um, I'll start with the emphasis on the wind because I think it's kind of a broader aspect of the problem and then that kind of gets down into downgrading. But for me, when we think about a hurricane, we have to consider it from the perspective of the journalists when they're the ones creating the headline. We mm-hmm. have to think that in, we have to consider what was the last hurricane or what was the last tropical system that went through. Was it a major wind event or a major water event or both? And we kind of train the journalists in a certain way to kind of pick up on these different triggers that we're sending them. And so usually in the past, extreme winds have been a major hazard. And we tend to focus on the uh, Saffir Simpson scale of, oh, it's a category three now. Now it's a category four. And all that kind of builds up before it hits land. If you think about it, we Mm -hmm. carry a lot of distinction around the upgrading and downgrading of storms before they uh, hit land because, oh, now now they have a name because it's reached a certain point. And so all these different things are based on the wind up until they kind of make landfall. And so I think when this happens, we have to kind of consider what the journalists know and what they don't know and how we can work with them to kind of help them understand and convey what the major impacts are going to be. Because Sure, we can be frustrated and throw blame all day at these people, but that's not going to help save lives or do make it better next time. So I think what we have to do is we have to work with these individuals to be like, well, sometimes there are uh, water hazards and sometimes there are wind hazards and sometimes there are both. But we have to key in on how we can emphasize certain hazards at certain points. I was tweeting about it recently and I said, you know, we need to communicate the impacts and we need to work with our media partners to make sure that they are doing that as well. Right. And I got a, a tweet back from somebody who said, you know, yeah, that's literally all we're doing. We're talking about the impacts. And I said, okay, great. That's wonderful. But is the media able to pick up on that right. and communicate it too? Yeah. They need to be the ones who um, take our message and amplify it for the public because exactly. we alone the national weather service national hurricane center um you know they alone cannot reach everybody they need to reach they need other people to blast out the same message and really get to the point of okay it's going to be a lot of rainfall yes the wind is going to be very damaging in that small portion but the rainfall is really what's going to be the big the big threat mm-hmm. and you know hurricanes you think about storm surge I heard a little bit about storm surge this time around, but uh, from the meteorologist, the rainfall was definitely emphasized, which is a, a good thing. But like you said, you have to make sure you talk to the, um, the those reporters or those in the media who are responsible for putting those pieces out there. 
Um, but it it makes me wonder. We have a lot of times where you know, again, every hurricane, every storm is different. But I know, for example, d- during Hurricane Matthew last year, you know, it was a big wind event for you know Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and also a pretty big rain event. But when it got up to North Carolina, was where it dumped a lot of rain. Right, and so. The governor of North Carolina at the time, Pat McCrory, was saying, oh, we definitely need to make a new scale. We don't need to have the Saffir-Simpson because it only focuses on wind mm-hmm. with the categories. And we had what seemed like a pretty big discussion about that at that time. Right. But nearly a year later, we're talking about the same thing again, mm-hmm. about the need to focus less on the wind, one that's not the biggest threat, and focus on other aspects like rainfall like storm surge, especially in this situation, the rain. Um, and so it makes me wonder, are we every after every big event, are we just going to say the same thing? Like, oh, hey, we need to talk about, you know, the other impacts. And yes, we are doing a much better job of telling people, you know, there's going to be tornadoes or there's going to be a lot of flooding or there's going to be, you know, storm surge. I think the meteorology community is doing a good job of communicating that. But I don't think we're able to reach all of our partners to, to get them to say the same thing. And when does yeah. that happen? It doesn't happen overnight, for sure. That's definitely not what I'm trying to su- uh, suggest. <laughs> Sorry. Um, very passionate here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think one, uh, the weather community is hearing these thoughts. I will say that there is stuff in the works in order to kind of think through this in a more practical way. I don't think a scale is the way to go because... Lord knows we don't need another scale, but, <laughs> um, but there are things that are moving that can kind of help us think through this idea. So I would kind of throw the question to you, what would it look like if we were to warn for the f- rainfall, say the flooding and the wind separately? What if we were to get rid of, say, the hurricane warning and think through flooding and wind as separate hazards and move toward maybe a hazard-based warning system versus a kind of event-based warning system. I think a lot of this stuff is, you know, hopefully in the works and people are are talking about doing it, but it's a big culture change, right? Of how we communicate it, how people interpret and receive that information. I don't under, I don't know what the world would be like without a category for a hurricane because that's all I've known. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people have known too. Um, to change it up a little bit, I know, you know, the tornado watch, tornado warning, like those ideas are also in the works for being changed up a little bit too. And, you know, for most of us, we've grown up with that terminology. So when you change the terminology, when you change, you know, the whole system, I really, I wonder what it'll be like if at the beginning it might be um, not as well received, but over time, you know, the long lasting effects of that culture change and of the dramatic change and how we you know, warn people about hazards, will it have a benefit? I think it will. But, you know, a lot of times people are not very open to change. And things, you know, I can, I don't know, again, I don't want to speak for the public, which (laughs) I know how you feel about that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about that later. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting conundrum to try to figure out i don't know an answer to that but i'm glad that you brought that up and it's curious for uh, our listeners to kind of maybe think about that as well and and kind of think about that yeah um so in addition to the news headlines about hurricane harvey tropical storm harvey um there was a lot of discussion about 
should people have evacuated? Why did the mayor of Houston not issue a mandatory evacuation? Why did the governor of Texas not say anything about it? And so I'm wondering if you had any thoughts about that before we start uh, diving into that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. I would like to kind of discuss a little bit of some statistics that our friend Jen Henderson posted on Facebook. And I think it really, really paints a good picture about some of the other like demographic aspects of uh, like someone's someone's willingness or ableness to evacuate. So when we think about evacuation behavior, we have to think about what are some barriers or what are things that are preventing people from going? just because someone says there should be an evacuation or an evacuation order is issued doesn't mean that someone necessarily has the money uh, in order to pick up everything and go stay somewhere mm-hmm. for who knows how long. Yeah. Um, so approximately 21% of people in Houston Metro make less than $35,000 per year. So that's about 435,000 people. Wow. Um, so nearly 6.7% make less than 25,000 a year, which is 154,000 people. So when you think through that salary range and you consider the cost of evacuation, so that's fuel supplies, hotel room, losing your own income for weeks, um, it could be as much as almost like $2,715 um, in order to do that. And that is obviously going to be exponential as it increases over weeks and weeks. As this sto- uh, event seems to be, it's going to be who knows how long before yeah. everything yeah. is livable again. So when you consider it from their perspective, spending just $2,000 on an evacuation is 6% of their family income for the whole year. So it's just, you have to, we have to consider these things when we're judging evacuation behavior, because it doesn't always just come down to whether you can leave or not, whether your job lets you leave or not. I mean, there are other factors that come into play. Yeah, I think a lot of people can speak out on social media and say stuff like, oh, you know, like, if my boss didn't let me go, will family and safety come over my job? Okay, great. You say that because you're safely in your house and you're not able to experience what these people are are experiencing. But it's not that easy, right? And for low-income people who may not have a way of getting out on their own, um, like in Hurricane Matthew, when I was dealing with um, the evacuees who came back from other places and whatnot, you know, they had to be transported on public transportation via school buses from Savannah to other places. Because there was no mandatory evacuation issued, these people did not have that opportunity to leave um, using public transportation because that just wasn't even an option. So if we don't talk about the you know, low-income community, then let's shift and talk about those who could evacuate, those who do have the means, who have cars, who have um, other ways of getting out. And so the criticism was, again, with why didn't they issue a mandatory evacuation um, to get people, as many people out as they could? And the response to that was that, from what I was seeing, mm-hmm. is that in order to evacuate Houston, so every community has what they call clearance time. How much time does it take to get people out of a city when you issue an evacuation? Clearance times are different for different types of uh, people within the community. So people with functional medical needs, so that might be people who are on insulin pumps, who are on oxygen tanks, those who are in nursing homes or hospitals, they normally require the largest amount of clearance time to get them out. Correct. If I think I'm I'm explaining you it correctly, correct. mm-hmm. and for those who are um, 
you know, closer to the coast or in a more populated county, it might take longer for them to get out. So the clearance time for those areas are higher. So for Houston, I don't know what the clearance time is, but it definitely isn't 48 hours to like 60 hours, which is what I think the amount of time when the forecast was really taking shape, when we really knew it was going to be really bad, was around that time frame. You know, had the mayor been proactive and issued a mandatory evacuation 72 to 84 hours, you know, before the storm hit, when, you know, the weather forecast was pretty good, but it wasn't like, you know, we knew this was going to happen. We had a pretty good idea. Um, how much of a dice do you roll? How much do you gamble and try to evacuate people in that situation without fully knowing the whole scope of and the magnitude of what could happen? Um, the cost of evacuating for the city. I know we're talking about the people, um, but I think it's really important to note that for the city, it would have costed millions upon millions to get everything together and then to get people out, you know, with that gambling going in place. And um, part of the reason people have cited about evacuation was when Hurricane Rita impacted the uh, Gulf Coast in Houston. Right. Uh, I, I do not remember the year that Rita hit. Do you happen to remember it all? I do not remember. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, so when Rita, I think in the late 2000s, yeah, when Rita like was uh, 2008, 2009. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Know. Maybe it was that far. Um, we'll verify that later. But when Rita impacted the um, Houston area, people were evacuating and there are between there are nearly 100 or more deaths that happened when people were leaving from Rita. So a lot of people died from hyperthermia because of heat uh, related illnesses. And then other people died um, with a combination of heat stress and other chronic uh, conditions that they had. And then there was that awful, awful bus accident where 23 nursing home evacuees were killed when their bus caught on fire and exploded. So, you know, when we think about people leaving, you think about, okay, well, you're going to be safer if you're away from where the uh, where you're going to be hit by the hurricane. But in this situation, which I think it's weighed on a lot of people's minds, more people died evacuating than people who were directly killed by the storm, right. uh, if I'm remembering that correctly. So mm-hmm. that was part of what people were thinking. But I think the big point is with the time. There just wasn't enough time to get everybody out. And if you started issuing a mandatory evacuation and people were leaving and then the storm hit, how many people would be on the interstates, on the highways of Houston, getting out with all that heavy rain and flooding? I mean, that first night, they had like 20 inches of rain, right? In some parts of Metro Houston. If that would have fallen while people were in their cars, that would have been catastrophic even more so than it is now. So I think that's important to to understand not, you know, not to say that not evacuating was the right decision or evacuating is the right decision. But I think this will be a case study for how to uh, approach the situation in the future. You know, that's that's going to be the reality of it to see, you right. know, what went right, what went wrong, what can we do differently next time? Um but yeah, it's it's not as easy as people think. I think a lot of people were are saying they should have evacuated, should have gotten people out of there. But uh, you know, I think we have to look at it on both sides. The something else I wanted to kind of discuss in this area is, if I remember correctly, when they made the category four upgrade and distinction, wasn't there like a mass evacuation where people were deciding to evacuate? Because I remember somewhere looking at the traffic maps and like everything was bumper to bumper after the 
Category 4 designation? Um, I know that, that I think Corpus Christi in that part of Texas evacuated for sure. Um, the other thing I heard that might be related to what you're saying is people um, in Houston were thinking, I should evacuate. I should leave. Um, this is not confirmed. I'm not really sure. But from what I remember, people had blamed the mayor of Houston for telling people, just everyone stay in your home. Don't leave. Mm. Even if you want to evacuate, don't go. I, it, but I don't know. I don't think that's true. I don't know if that yeah. actually happened or not. Um, if people want to evacuate on their own, you know, again, this comes down to your own decision and what you want to do and what you think is best for you and your family. If you want to leave and you have the means to and your job won't get mad at you, then go for it. Um, but, you know, people were saying, oh, the mayor said, don't go. You're not allowed to go. You know, no one can tell you what to yeah. do and what not to do, even in a mandatory evacuation. I mean, you can stay, you can get arrested or you can stay and, and you know, put yourself in harm's way. But you don't have to leave. You don't have to have to leave. Um, but yeah, it's the point of that all being it's it's not as clear cut as one may think, I guess right. is what I'm trying to go for. Um, as you know, when we look at this kind of situation, a lot of times people are like, oh, it's you know very simple. But no, 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 it's not. Um, but it's interesting, though. I saw a lot of people talking about how social media is helping to shine a light on Harvey for other people who are not in the area. And so have you used Snapchat, the map recently, the Snapchat map? I have. So I had several people send me Snapchats through the map, which I didn't even know you could do that. Wait, how do you do that? I don't know. Uh, several friends sent me like snaps from Houston, like directly to me. And so... It let me look at them, but it also put it on the map. So I was able to click on the map and I was able to see the other snaps in the area. Were so your I friends from was... Houston or they're just sending snaps from of Houston to you, but they're not from Houston? Correct. Confused. Okay, yes. gotcha. Friends gotcha. not in Houston sending snaps about Houston. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I thought that was an interesting way because I didn't, I didn't know that that was a possibility. Okay. So, so yes, I have been using it. Okay. For those who don't know or don't use Snapchat, there's a feature where you can pull up a whole map of, I believe, the entire world. Correct. And you can click on different locations and you can see people posting Snapchats from that area. So Snapchat can be either pictures or videos, short videos. And if you zoom into Houston, you can click on it and see people, you know, showing footage of their neighborhood being flooded or showing, uh, you know, videos of themselves or pictures of themselves. And it's pretty interesting to see it all go down of, you know, you may not physically be there, but you can still see what other people on Snapchat are experiencing. You don't have to only rely on the news mm -hmm. anymore to get images or social media like Twitter or Facebook, the more traditional forms of social media. You can actually see it for yourself from people you don't even know. They don't even have to be people you follow or your Facebook friends or anything like that. And so, you know, I saw on Twitter that, you know, people were talking about Snapchat map and how that's kind of helping the uh, disaster management community, those who are in emergency management, to see, engage how serious it is in certain parts of um, of Houston, part, certain parts of Texas. And seeing these, like, you know, firsthand accounts of what's going on is really yeah. helpful for them to understand the severity of what's happening, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of... Uh so some emergency managers are starting to use, uh, what are the 
unmanned UAVs, unmanned air vehicles. I don't know if that's yeah, right. like drones and stuff. Yeah, they're just starting to use those as ways to visualize, uh, or just kind of, to kind of show people what's going on in their community, and uh, and they're kind of considering moving forward to do that in such a way to prevent people from coming back if they can see their house, because that's why a lot of people come back from after evacuating because they want to see how damaged their home is so they're considering using these uavs in order to show pictures of houses and like be able to post them that's online a really good idea so that they can sh- visualize and show people oh your house isn't that damaged so you can come back or everything is t- totally destroyed so maybe you should stay evacuated for two weeks or so yeah so they're doing it as almost like a uh, a first-hand confirmation, kind of like when we think about confirmation behaviors for tornado warnings and that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah. they're kind of applying that to the emergency management world, which is kind of cool. And this is kind of another area of that. So you can zoom into your neighborhood to see like what's going on while you're evacuated or how bad it is. So I think it that's actually be that's a great idea because I know that after a hurricane, like you said, people want to know you know, how their home is doing, how their neighbor's homes are doing, how their mm-hmm. other family members' homes are doing. And so by putting that out there, you can, you know, people will know. And so they won't have to try to get back as soon as possible. You know, yes, if your home is damaged and you see that, you might want to be like, well, I want to get home and, and repair right. as soon as I can. But um, honestly, after you see it, there's really nothing you can do at that very moment. You need, you know, the crews to come in and fix everything and whatnot, which could take a while. But I know when I was in Savannah, people were asking me, hey, could you look at my house? Can you see if, you know, there's damage here or there? So I think that will be a pretty useful tool in the future. Um, And in addition to that idea, um, I saw a map recently on Twitter. It was being shared on Twitter. I forgot what organization it is. I'll try to dig it up. But they're crowdsourcing information about flooding in Houston and then mapping it in an interactive map so people oh, can cool. know where what parts of Houston were flooding. So it's like a very hyper-local um, visualization visualization of uh, where in Houston was flooding. And so people could be like, oh, well, I know my family lives in this neighborhood. It's dry or it's not dry. And so I think people who um, are not in Houston can see it, but also people in Houston too. They can maybe get a better sense of maybe where they can go when things are really crazy. It's crisis mode. You don't know you know, if your house is flooding, you need to get somewhere, where might you be able to go? That could be pretty interesting as well, based on crowdsourcing information and inputting that information in from, you know, people all around the country. Yeah, another area that I was kind of uh, thinking through is where obviously people are still Snapchatting. So that seems to be a, mm-hmm. a very like effective medium for them to send out messages but i'm wondering if it could be also a good way for them to receive messages so i'm not a big snapchat person but i do know that there are like certain organizations that post like daily stories or and they have they're kind of like edited and they have like different clips and things in them and so i'm wondering if we could potentially utilize that in such a way where they could have messages like if you could get here or if you need help do this or you know, using that source of information mm-hmm. as a way to provide additional messaging for maybe yeah. if since they're I'm sure their power's out, like their TV's out. Um, so all those mediums that we think through are kind of shut down at this point. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. I feel like I've seen some of those Snapchat big stores that have been like, if you need help, call this number or at least for donation wise, they tell people around the world 
where they can donate money to. Um, but that would be really interesting to use Snapchat and other social media as a way to be like, oh, you know, if you have an emergency, you can call this number because mm-hmm. you're right. These, these people may not have access to that type of information. Um, it's interesting. A lot of the people I've talked to also have power. I don't know the power outage numbers in Houston right now, mm-hmm. but and I know it's like flooding and a lot of times wind is what causes a lot of power outages, knocking down power lines and everything. But it seems like a lot of people still have power, which is also a dangerous. hopefully a good thing. It's dangerous, yes, um, with the potential for electrocution. Yeah. And I was also wondering if people are turning off their power, you know, turning off their circuits and everything when the houses get flooded or not. Yeah. Um, hmm. It's still way too early to know, you know, what we're looking at with in terms of, unfortunately, casualties and fatalities. But, you know, in Hurricane Sandy, when there was a lot of flooding, electrocution accounted for a decent amount of people. Um, who passed away, unfortunately. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, the plus side electricity is available to people, hopefully in drier areas of Houston and um, other parts of the uh, southeastern Texas and Louisiana. But also, um, you're right, it does pose kind of a threat as well. Um, And then I think part of the last point we wanted to talk about, Castle, if you can talk about this is, you know, the point of this podcast is to talk about um, Hurricane Harvey and a lot of questions that the weather community has been having. We've tweeted a lot about it. We posted on Facebook a lot about it. We've all picked our brains um, kind of publicly, maybe some privately as well on on um, social media. And so hopefully this podcast has kind of brought to light some of these ideas that people have been talking about in our weather community, but also maybe spurred other ideas that you guys are coming up with as you're listening to this too. Um, we're not doing this in a way that would like disrespect the victims of Houston or anywhere else right now because we know they're all going through a lot. Um, but through these discussions that you've seen, there's something that you've kind of picked up on and it's assuming the public knows certain things or doesn't know certain things. And I'd like you to kind of talk about that a little bit if you don't mind. Sure. Um, just to warn everyone, I'm about to get on a soapbox and um, I will soon exit uh, once I'm finished. Um, but yeah, like you said, I feel like that we are, when we have these discussions about headlines and we have these discussions about, um, how are we communicating the impacts or the hazards or the threats, we're putting words in the mouths of the public. And that just does not sit well with me because when we think through these ideas, we have to consider that the public knows them to a certain degree. We can't just assume that they do not know anything. So we've been seeing news articles circling around the weather community about, oh, well, the hazard is like a one-two punch where we have the wind first then the rain second, and the public doesn't get that. They don't know that the rain's going to be coming. My question to them is, how do they know? Did they ask them? Are they in the minds of the public? Do they know what's going through their minds? Like, it, it just frustrates me to a point when we, we, we've made so much progress as a community in trying to think through these ideas of how are we communicating our message? How is it being received? How is social science impacting these ideas? But then when it comes to certain situations, we just fall back into that same routine of thrusting opinions and thoughts on the public. And it's just not something that sits well with me at all. And so when we're thinking through these ideas of how uh, this event is kind of unfolding. I don't want us to kind of assume certain things about the public. We have to think through, um, 
what's going on. And then I think it really comes down to those kind of rapid response grants going in afterwards, making sure Mm -hmm. people are okay, understanding how the event was for them, understanding how we can make it better next time, making sure that we know their perspective because it is only theirs. It's their perspective. It's not ours. We can have all the meteorological knowledge in the world, but that will never tell us how someone is feeling, how they're understanding something, how they're interpreting something, and how they're going to act. I think, yeah, that's a great point. Um, I'm going to go on a quick mini rant, and I will let you continue with your soapbox. Do it. No, Um, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm on Twitter, especially, because, you know, our weather Twitter community is very active, especially in times of disaster, I see a lot of people tweeting, and... I wonder what the value of it is sometimes. People are tweeting things and tweeting their comments and thoughts. And I'm I'm guilty of it too sometimes. Definitely during Harvey, I tweeted a few things too. But, you know, to pick people's brains to see what they're thinking. Also to get preparedness information out to other people. But a lot of times I feel like people are kind of just going off just to go off. They feel like they don't have any other way of you know, letting their ideas or thoughts out. And so a lot of times you're right. They might say something and be like, well the the public doesn't understand that one two punch and you know so on and so forth and i wonder if they could maybe phrase it in a different way as if they're trying to learn more instead of assuming things about people and being right. like you know i wonder if they don't understand this right. one two punch of wind and rain i wonder this or i wonder that and then maybe start a conversation offline or think about that further after the storm has hit but i i hate like you said when i'm seeing these posts and i'm like well how do you know that how do you, you know, so what about that? It, you know, it doesn't seem like it's really adding anything except that it's giving you an outlet to kind of just talk. But that's when I just kind of back away from Twitter and it's like, okay, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. Uh, we'll log back on in a few hours to check in on, you know, what's happening. But sometimes you just got to back away a little bit. Um, okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm that's and I'll end with just a comment based on what you said. And I think everyone is entitled to certain one off comments. My kind of rant was more based on the people that have said every three hours or so the same thing and they continue to kind of drill in this perspective of the public that we don't know to be true or false without and justifying it and giving correct. like you know past research firsthand to... accounts yeah okay. like yeah. anything um they're just using what they have heard or what they know of And sure, okay, so I will uh, say something. The checking in on Facebook thing has become kind of a proxy for the public not understanding the one-two punch. And sure, I think... Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I think that that can be a measure. But then at the same time, you have to understand the way that Facebook works. Like, it's at the very top as soon as you log in. It's like, are you safe? Tell your family and friends. And like, that's using social norms and trying to figure out it's manipulating you to make, tell your family that you're okay. So that to me can be used as a measure, but at the same time, like it's putting a lot of motivation behind someone pushing that button. And so I don't think we, we have to take it with a grain of salt and kind of consider it moving forward as a way as maybe like a proxy for understanding the current situation and the length of time that the hazard is going to be present. But I don't think right now we cannot definitively think about it as a way of them not understanding the depth or the breadth of what's happening. I think two points to that. Um, Facebook, uh, that was uh, a point that I forgot to bring up. Um, 
Facebook tells you the weather forecast, right? Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, good morning. The weather's going to be this today. And somebody had tweeted, you know, a picture from Galveston of the Facebook status saying, good morning, it's going to be raining today in Galveston, even though a freaking hurricane was about to make landfall like a few miles south of Galveston. Right. And so... It was somebody's way of saying, you know, Facebook is kind of out of touch with the reality of the actual situation instead of just generating information with a robot and being like, okay, there's rain in the forecast. Let me put that into a very simple text product. Not that people didn't know probably what was happening, but it just goes to show that while these things might be great on a normal day with these type of scenarios, you can't just be like, oh, it's raining, you know, a hurricane warning or you know, heavy rain and, and strong winds expected might be a little bit more of what should be uh, on that Facebook notification. Or even like check with your local authorities or something yeah. like something, something kind of elevates. Yeah, like kind of elevates the situation more. Yes. Um, and also, yeah, point number two with the um, check in, I'm safe Facebook thing. Um, that definitely works for like earthquakes or short fuse events things that are happening very quickly right um and happen to have that like i guess the one punch versus like this time around a longer duration event because i remember people like you said were tweeting pictures of people marking themselves safe on facebook like a few hours into the event on like late friday or early saturday and people were like oh my gosh you don't know what's coming after that do you um so I wonder if there's a way for Facebook to kind of look at this and understand, you know, because I, I was thinking, has there ever been a time where people mark themselves as safe and then all of a sudden something bad happened and they weren't, their families weren't able to really know? Right. Um, that's really scary to think about. I don't know the answer to that. I, I sure hope not. But I kind of thought that in my head, like, oh my gosh, these people are marked safe and then they haven't even gone through most of it yet i i wonder if they can take it back and be like jk i'm not safe i don't know i mean yeah ooh. i don't and i don't know the legal obligations from facebook's side either whether that is considered something that impacts them whether they mark someone safe and they're not like i don't know um when they added that feature it's pretty recent uh, and i think it was because more of like a hearth, earthquake kind of deal yeah so i don't know what the ramifications are of on Facebook side, if someone is not safe or they mark themselves safe too early, I don't know how they deal with that. So I'm sure it's something that they will have to reconsider moving forward. Yeah. I mean, as we wrap this uh, episode up, Hurricane Harvey is, you know, an incredible, crazy, I don't even know. It's, it's very hard to describe. But what I do know is, you know, there's going to be a lot of learning from this experience. And I understand a lot of people are going through a lot right now and our thoughts and prayers are with them as they recover. And, you know, if you can help out in any way, you know, donate money or what have you, um, please think about doing that because people definitely need your help uh, in the next months. And even, you know, the, the person from FEMA, the administrator even said, you know, when he, when asked, are you ready to be there, you know, for the next few months? He said, no, this is going to be an, like years. We're going to be here yeah. for a, a long, long time. I mean, I don't think people realize that in Katrina, Hurricane yeah, Katrina, when it hit time. New Orleans, people are still down there from FEMA um, looking over things. So that yeah. was, you know, well over like, what, 12, 12 years, years ago? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's insane. So this is not going to take just a few months to recover, a few weeks to recover once the rain is out of there. And, you know, last time I looked at the radar, the, the rain was lightening up. 
Um, it's Tuesday evening, by the way, when we're recording this, but um, the rain is lightening up over Houston, but a lot of heavy rain over towards Galveston and eastern parts of, um, like, towards Beaumont and, like, Charles and everything else. So um, even after the rain's all gone, the water will still be there for a while. And after the water's receded, you have a lot of damage that you have to pick up after and, and, and get businesses back to normal um, and the commerce and everything, too. So this is going to take a long time. And just remember that when, you know, just because we don't hear about it in the headlines right. anymore exactly. doesn't mean people aren't still suffering. Yeah. Um, I think that that became, you know, I realized that a lot after Hurricane Matthew when being in Georgia, North Carolina, we're still seeing the impacts from the storm after, way after it's gone. But I don't think people really think about it, you know, because the way things work, you get more coverage for other things in the news and, and whatnot. But um, it's going to be a... Um, a long time and a slow recovery, but just keep everyone in your thoughts and prayers. And, and hopefully if you are able to donate or, or help out in some way, um, please think about doing that. Um, Castle, did you have any other thoughts as we close out? I don't, I think you summed it up perfectly. Um, just because the news cycle ends doesn't mean it ends for these families in Houston and the surrounding yeah. areas. So don't let that stop you from continuing to help over the next several months. Um, donating as much money as you can donating items and uh, food i know that there's some churches and different organizations around atlanta that are collecting donations so i'm sure that there are other places in cities near you that are also helping even if you could just go down there and volunteer your time to help sort things anything that you can do um, to help these individuals they they really need it and we need to be there for them yeah, and I think um, just an important note from that, make sure that before you donate items, you know that these um, organizations are going to be able to handle and take care of all that. Because a lot of Correct. times people want money donations and monetary donations as opposed to items because um, transporting them and logistics can be a nightmare when you're trying to bring you know clo used clothes, used items for uh, people, but also food and canned food. Um, like a dollar would buy you more canned food food than you going out and buying one product for a dollar you know um these mm -hmm. organizations can buy in bulk for instance too um and before you go to those affected areas definitely make sure that you're trying to volunteer with an organization that is um that you know the government of houston and, and whatnot will know that you're going there with that organization because a lot of times people like to go in after an event and just you know offer um any help that they can and that's great but it actually becomes, again, a logistical nightmare trying to right. coordinate all these people and whatnot. So um, definitely before you go, make sure you uh, know what you're doing. Don't just drive there or fly there. And you're not going to be able to fly there for a while anyway or drive there, honestly. But um, just, you know, everybody wants to help out in any way they can. Trust me. I, I We all know that feeling. But just make sure you're doing something that will be more beneficial than it would be harmful. Um, to those who are um, dealing with this uh, tragic uh, disaster in Houston. Um, yeah, that uh, I think that wraps it up. Um, you can find our podcast on weatherhypepodcast.com and then facebook.com slash weatherhype. Um, you can, yeah, go ahead. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words weather and hype, or send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. And we're gonna we're gonna continue to monitor the situation and uh, see what unfolds in the next few weeks and months. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, and hopefully we were able to get you thinking about some things that 
um, that you maybe heard of in the news and, and whatnot. But uh, we hope the best for the uh, victims of uh, Hurricane Harvey and, and hope for better things to come.